Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Piers Morgan. Uncensored tonight, female footballers make fresh demands for equal pay ahead of the Women's World Cup. Is it time for sport to pay its female talent fairly, or do men still earn their advantage? We'll have that thorny debate. Also tonight, former President Trump faces a third criminal indictment, this time over the January 6th riots. Governor Asa Hutchinson, one of his rivals as Republican candidate to be president, demands that Trump now suspends his campaign and joins me live. Plus, a controversial barge for housing refugees is docked in Britain as officials order children's murals to be scrubbed from the walls of a detention centre. The UK has to solve this migrant crisis. But are we forgetting our humanity? We'll debate. Live from the News Building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Many of the stereotypes about millennials are almost as lazy as some of them are. They like avocados on toast. They take photos of avocados on toast. Bad tattoos, skinny jeans, dating apps, cats, you get the picture. And censorship, of course. Like a lot of stereotypes, they begin life with a kernel of truth. A major survey in the US found that a plurality of people aged 25 to 34 now think using the wrong pronouns should be a criminal offence. Almost half of them think you should be prosecuted for saying he instead of she, if that he is becoming a she, or if he or she just wants to be they, or thinks they should be a she, he, they, or something like a cat. You could be forgiven for being as confused about this as some of them are. And that's the point. Most decent people have no real problem with referring to trans people by their chosen gender. I try and do it myself. If nothing else, is just polite and good manners. But most decent people also find all this completely baffling. Stop someone in the streets of Barnsley or Baltimore and ask them for their personal preferred pronouns. They'll ask you what the hell you're talking about. Look what happened when CNN, the very paragons of virtue signaling, analysed the disastrous impact that trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who until last year identified as a gay man, uh, had on sales of Bud Light. They don't like the way Dylan Mulvaney was treated after this whole controversy started. He, of course, is the transgender uh, person they were going to... Uh, uh, sponsor and go along with with Bud Light. They didn't like how Bud Light didn't stand by him. Him? Oh, dear. Well, he was a him last year, but not anymore. And the next day, CNN, where I used to work, full of fine people, all very well-intentioned, had to issue a groveling apology. Before we wrap up today, we do want to make an important note. Yesterday in a segment about transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who was featured in Bud Light's recent campaign, she was mistakenly referred to by the wrong pronoun. 
And CNN aims to honor individuals' ways of identifying themselves, and we apologize for that error. Top, top, top. I mean, really, execution is too good for them. <laughs> but you see, that's how difficult it all is, isn't it? Should CNN journalists now be jailed for that obvious hate crime? And criminal offence or not, the tyranny of the pronoun police is all around us. Misgendering can get you kicked off YouTube, which for some people has removed their main source of income. It briefly led to the What is a Woman documentary by Matt Walsh being banned on Twitter. And Oxford College just warned it will expel students for misgendering each other. The UK government's long-awaited guidance for schools on trans pupils has today been delayed reportedly because of legal wrangling over whether teachers must use a student's preferred pronouns. Many businesses now require their staff to wear pronoun badges or sign off their emails with their pronouns. And if you accept all of that, criminalisation probably looks like the logical next step. Yeah, sling the miscreants in prison. Now, in my view, what should actually be illegal, if you're going to get into gender criminality, might be the idea of biological men destroying women born with biological female bodies in women's sport. That's a bit of a crime to me. Or biological men demanding access to female changing rooms full of biological females, many of them very young. Or biological male rapists who identify as women at their trials to get into women's prisons. Maybe that should be a crime. And if you think that makes me a transphobe, I'd say you're the one with the phobia of common sense. Well, joining me in the studio is socialist and author Grace Blakely and YouTube commentator Pearl Davis, uh, both, I would imagine, identifying as provocateurs. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this first of all, Pearl. I, I just find the whole personal pronoun thing honestly absurd. I, my personal pronouns on my Twitter biography are now uh, hot, hotter, hottest. <laughs> and I, frankly, if people don't call me those, then they have to be jailed. I go along with that. But I did that to highlight that when I do that and say that, people then accuse me of being ridiculous. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. Why do we need personal pronouns? We don't need personal pronouns. I honestly, I don't think it's kind to allow people to live in delusion. Wait, are you at the end of the day, 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 other than we don't, the regular. We, know, we all know, we all know what a man and a woman is, okay? Just because you dress like a woman, talk like a woman, act like a woman, it does not make you a woman. And I am so tired of us allowing these people to let us live in delusion. It is delusional to think you are the opposite gender, and it is not kind. I to can't even that. go on. I love flying British Airways, right? My preferred airline, mm -hmm. the wonderful airline. And they always used to. There always be a lovely posh voice saying. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Britain. And I used to felt soothing, particularly if I came from another country back to Britain. I felt immediately at ease. My captain was there, sounding like he was, you know, from some wonderful Pathé news bulletin. And he referred to us as ladies and gentlemen. That's now been banned. They're not allowed to say ladies and gentlemen because there might be one person on the plane who says, whoa, whoa, hang on. I don't identify as a lady or a gentleman. Well, OK, fine, I don't care, but I do. So where's my right to be I'm called a gentleman? Here's... Grace? You know how I feel about this. I'm so, so bored of it all. I'm so bored of the fact that this is the one item that's constantly coming up 
over and over and over again. And you can completely see why, right? Conservative governments have destroyed our economy. We're in the middle of a massive climate crisis, just after the hottest week ever. I've just come over from Europe. It's extremely hot. And instead of talking about that, we spend hours and hours and hours talking about pronouns, talking about going into bathrooms, talking about, you know, all of this stuff that just doesn't matter. Yeah, but you see, it doesn't matter. Hang on, hang on. But hang matter. on, it doesn't matter to you. I'm so bored. It doesn't matter it to is. you, but it does matter to women in sport. It does matter to sure. women whose young daughters might be using these dressing rooms. It does matter to the victims of male rapists who see their attackers identify as women to get into women's prisons. Sorry, so when you say they don't matter, they really do Let's matter. Let's have those issues aired in the appropriate, you know, spaces. We are. In, you know, in sport, That's... have that discussion amongst well, you know, sports you know, people. Lucky... But, like, literally, it's about priorities, isn't it? Lucky there is a certain you. number I'm, of time I'm a, I'm a that we athlete. have on these shows to discuss I, the issues that matter. I play, I play and, like, you don't think women's... Game. Hang on, you don't, before we come to our next... I don't think women's sport matters as much as climate change. Does women's, no. I think, like, does women's having equality a planet matter? in which we can play sport does, matters more than the rules Does women's equality matter? I know that that makes me probably absolutely Does women's equality matter to you? Well, I mean, yeah, of course, but actually, okay. I mean, the whole point okay. like, that I was going to make on this segment, actually, is that, like, you cannot separate feminism from class issues. Mm. Like, if you're just going around saying, like, I don't know, um, I think the female CEO of a weapons manufacturer should mm. be paid the same as a male CEO, and that's the hill I'm going to die on. I'm not fighting that fight with you, because ultimately, like, what I care about are the struggles that ordinary women face okay. every day. Well, let's come to the, the main point of the segment, which is this issue of women's rights to be paid the same as men in sport. Now, the Australian women's football team have criticised the pay gap in the upcoming World Cup prize money. Let's take a look at what they said as a team. 736 footballers have the honour of representing their country on the world's biggest stage this tournament. Yet many are still denied the basic right to organise and collectively bargain. Collective bargaining has allowed us to ensure we now get the same conditions as the Socceroos, with one exception. FIFA will still only offer women one quarter as much prize money as men for the same achievement. Well, OK, this is an interesting, Pearl, because if you look at the revenue, for example, in 2019, FIFA generated uh, £586 million in total revenue. The men's, uh, for the 2019-22 cycle, £5.8 billion. Uh, record revenue through the Men's World Cup. So the, the, the women's game has come on in leaps and bounds. The English Lionesses, fantastic win, sell-out crowds, they're making a lot more money. They're definitely way, way further now towards where the men are commercially than they were, but they're still a way off. Mm -hmm. And when you saw at Wimbledon, for example, the men's final was watched by three times as many people, and yet they were both free to wear on the BBC. You could watch both if you wanted to. So there was three times as much interest in the men's game. They played two sets more per match mm -hmm. than the women do, and yet the women get equal pay. I'm not quite sure why... I don't think it's a matter of equality. It's just a matter of fairness, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I won. I think all of the women should thank the men for funding our leagues because most of our leagues would not exist without the men, number mm. one. Number two, when we have the same numbers, then we should get the same pay. I'm sorry, I play, I play vo volleyball at the highest level, and it's like when we make what the men make and get the crowds that the men draw, then we should get paid the same. Well, see, why, I, is it, why is it actually a fight for equality, Grace? I mean... Why, if, if women in a particular sport, for example, turned out to generate more revenue, right, because they were more watchable, and in America, the, the women's football team is better than the men, and they do generate, even at school level, far more interest from girls than boys, for example, I don't see why equality should be the aim. 
Why shouldn't they get paid more than the men? Well, look, I mean, there are all sorts of problems with the way that this market for Labour, and it is basically a market for Labour, works. Like, I personally don't think that the top football players in the world should be paid as much as they do. I think it's ridiculous, the amount... Well, that's market of, force. Of, 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 exactly. It's market forces. Well, why shouldn't should they get that? Should that be the way that we decide, you know, who, who, who generates you? what? Who generates who what? They get, Personally, I'm very much in favour of the <laughs> fact that they came out there and said collective bargaining. Ultimately, like... The average worker in this country hasn't had a no. pay rise in over a decade. I'm How so is that going to change? I am That's so going to change when they organise with one another. I am so in tired of women whining. Mate, it's the only like person whining the men, at the moment the is men, you. The men, literally, the men fund our leagues and we will still whine that we don't get paid enough. And honestly, when athletes do shit like this, it makes all of us look bad. Because instead of being thankful for the league that we have, we go out and whine and complain about the pay. I mean, as I said... I'm not whining. You sound like you're maybe doing a bit of whining. But, like, personally, I don't think we should be whining. I think people should be organising. If you want, the, a, if you you want think, a pay increase, you think, join a union, get out there and fight for should it. That's the, my view. Should the women footballers get the same as the men? Yeah, I think it probably makes sense. Even if they're not but making anything like the revenue. Ultimately, like, it's the not going to change. Footballers lost it's not going to change unless they organise. That's actually true across every sector let me ask the you, economy. Let me, how much, if you right, want a pay ask, rise, okay. join a union and fight for one. Let me ask you this, though. They have got unions. Exactly. Let me ask you this. On talent alone, for example, as a yardstick, the US women's football team were beaten by a group of under-15 boys from Texas, right, who were very good, under-15 boys, but their under-15 boys team beat them, I think, about 8 9 nil or something. So why should women footballers, who are clearly nowhere near as good as their male counterparts, just technically, why should they get paid anything like as much money? Well, I mean, you know, it sucks, doesn't it, that, like, as a woman... Yeah, OK, you're a, you play volleyball. I'm a surfer. I absolutely love surfing. It's very hard for women to build up a body strength. This is something that I've learned the, very much the hard way. And so, you Surfers, know, by is, the way, there is, there is equal pay. Yeah, there is. And actually, you know, it, it, it's one of those sports where... Can a woman opinion, be as good as a man or not? Watch, well, it's different. It's a different sport, mm. really. It's not, you know, it is the same sport, but it's very different watching a woman surf than it is watching a man surf because, you know, the average male body is different from the average woman, like, uh, woman's body for all these... But is there any reasons. actual technical reason why a woman can't do with a surfer what a man can do? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's loads of reasons. Like, it is about the upper body strength, it's about, like, the way that the body is built. So should women surfers at the elite level get the same as men? But, like, again, I think it's it just is different. Like, it's a different kind of game and people watch it, I oh, think... Oh, you're shaking your head. No, I just think when we start <laughs> making the same amount of money as the men, then we should get paid the same as the men. I don't hear the men whining about OnlyFans models getting paid more than them. I don't hear the men whining is about models getting paid Do more than them. Kendall does... Jenner is the highest paid supermodel. Where are the male supermodels? But, but whenever out... men dominate in an industry, women will just complain. I mean, I don't know if that's true about OnlyFans, because there are a lot of men on OnlyFans as well. But I mean, look. The main point you here... You think they make the same? I have no idea. But, like, maybe well, if you averaged you... out the number of men and women that are on that website. Anyway, look, the main point no. here, the point that I came on here that I wanted to make was that, um, the, like, the problem that we have in, in our economy at the moment is not that, like, the average football player isn't played the same as the average man. It is probably an injustice, and I'm glad that they're organising and working together to fight for that. But ultimately, the problem we have in our economy is that nobody's getting paid enough money because inflation's eroded people's wages. Even before that, no-one had a pay rise in a really long time. But, but, and okay. the lesson from this is 
as I've said, I'm going to say it again because mm. it's an important lesson and no one knows about them anymore because they see them as a hangover from 1970s. Join a union because otherwise your bosses are going to yeah, walk away. but there are unions you. for all these. They're all, it's the unions that are fighting for them. Exactly. But, but on, on, okay, but just as a general point, though, the principle you think it, that women should get paid the same even if they're not as technically as good and not producing as well, much revenue. Well, it's a subjective judgment, isn't it, on whether or not they're, like, technically as well, good. Well, not no, really. It's not. It's no, it's not. Well, people watch men and <laughs> no, women's sports not. for different reasons. Well, let me give an example. An example would be the Olympics. If you made it non-gender specific, how many women would win medals? Well, I mean... None. OK. If I mean, maybe in equestrian and maybe in shooting, I think, are the but two. Again, I think where there's no sense that the men might win. You can say, like, oh, you know, this group is better than this group. But again, I think it's different. Men are better than women at watch. sports. Yes, let's not live in this delusion. And in most, I, I played and in most cases, years and in most cases Grace, more people, men and women, want to watch men play sports. Correct. That's I mean, just a demonstrable name, fact. Name, that may change. And my point five... is, if it changes, I don't see why equality should be the only ambition for the women. If it turns out that in some sport, women get more viewers watching and therefore draw more revenue, I'm all for them getting more money than the men. Can you name five WNBA players? Five female soccer players. I mean, I can't name any soccer players That's already. That's crazy. I what wish we had the, the support WNBA? from the, the feminists. Basketball? I don't we know. would get equal pay if we would just get the support from the feminists. Well, let me, let me, let me tell I you. Name, name five. Let me name tell you. Five, what, WNBA, <laughs> I don't even know what the WNBA I'm is. Wait, we need our support. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, you really are. Um, <laughs> but I do want to mention one thing, which is I had Dale Vince on the program. He's this. Uh, he's fun, been funding Just Stop Oil. And also, he's, he was very, very keen to show his feminist credentials because he just he owns a football team and he had just hired the first female manager uh, of a football team. But there was a slight problem, which he only made of the caretaker. And I saw a potential flaw here. So let's see what went down when I interviewed him. You didn't think by appointing the first female caretaker manager of a professional men's team, you would get any attention? She's the best candidate for the job at the club. This is what happens. You look at within the club, you find your best coach and you say, take the team in an interim t uh, period while we do a proper recruitment process. That's all that's happening here. Why do you keep coming back to that? Because she's if only you look a at caretaker. Our record of appointments. She's only a caretaker. Look at our record of appointments. So if you believed in that much, you'd have made a manager. You've got all the publicity, but actually no, no, she's no. not got the full that's job. That's not how it works. And I suspect what's going to happen is you're going to go and you find... understood football. You're going to probably go and find a bloke to I, replace her, and then you're going to have to deal with that. I, I thought you understood football, Piss. I do. I'm an Arsenal fan. Well, you might be massively unsurprised to learn that 12 days later, Anna Dinkley has been removed from her job as caretaker manager and replaced by a man. Yeah, Dale talked a good game on feminism and women's rights and boasted about it and got all the publicity. And in the end, he got rid of her after 12 days and put a bloke in charge. And you can make your own view about Mr Vince for doing that. Uh, lovely to see you both. Thank you both very much indeed. Uncensored next, former President Trump says he expects to be arrested again by a federal inquiry into US Capitol riots on January 6th last year. Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson, who is running as a Republican candidate to be president, says that Trump must now suspend his campaign. He joins me next live. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Former President Donald Trump says he expects to be arrested and indicted again, this time by a federal inquiry into the Capitol riots 
and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump posted on his Truth Social platform that it was a scam and a hoax, saying, deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ, sent a letter stating that I'm a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. Well, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who is running against Trump, for the Republican nomination, has called for him to suspend his campaign, saying anyone who truly loves this country and is willing to put the country over themselves will suspend their campaign for President of the United States immediately. It is disappointing that Donald Trump refuses to do so. Nasa Hutchinson joins me now. Uh, welcome to you, Governor. Um, it does seem quite extraordinary, I have to say, particularly now I've come back over this side of the pond, having been in America last week. People are incredulous here that a presidential candidate already facing serious criminal charges is now potentially about to face yet more in an attempt to thwart the result of a democratic election and could potentially after that face another raft in relation to phone calls he made in, in Georgia. Um, how is this happening? Well, first of all, it's not a happy day for America. This is not a good representation of our democracy. And how did it happen? Uh, it happened because of uh, Donald Trump's irresponsibility and potential criminal conduct. I've said all along that uh, he was morally responsible for January 6th and what happened in the attack of the Capitol. But now Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is through the grand jury saying he's criminally responsible as well. That has to be tested through the courts. But my point is that this is an incredible distraction from all the issues that we face as a nation. Uh, it's a distraction from the campaign. It's a distraction to uh, Donald Trump. And if you put your country first, then you just step aside because this is too much for the country and for him and for everyone to deal with during this critical time in our country. And that's what, uh, I mean, I've been a federal prosecutor. I know mm -hmm. what's at stake here when you've got two pending indictments and you've got another one that's coming uh, this is not going to be a pretty sight for the next, 60, next, next six months. Here's the problem, I think, that you have certainly as a Republican candidate, um, but that America also has, I guess, democratically, which is that Trump, each time he gets indicted, simply goes on the attack, and he's doing it again here before he's actually been formally indicted, but it's almost certain that he will be. You know, he basically turns it into a political thing. He says that it's the third indictment uh, and it's the arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent, i.e. himself, who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Well, he's way ahead in the polls. And each time one of these things happens, Trump's popularity in the polls seems to go up, not down, which is also extraordinary. What can you, as a Republican candidate trying to make him suspend his, his campaign, which he, I don't think he will for a moment, what can you do to stop the Trump machine from just barreling through all this, given that his own supporters, his own base, simply don't seem to care. Well, you're right, uh, Pierce, that he's very likely to go up in the polls, get a bump from this because of the indictment, and there's a perception that this is politically motivated in some way. And, of course, who drives that? That's driven by Donald Trump. And uh, what's happening here is that he's not talking about the, po uh, the facts. He's talking about the politics of it. And so, you know, if this is going to change voters' thinking, it's going to be over the course of time when they realize that the Republican Party can't win with Donald Trump as the nominee with all of these external pressures. You can't attract independents. You can't attract suburban voters. So we're going to lose. 
And so that has to be absorbed. And then secondly, the seriousness of the allegations. I can't speak to the January 6th because I don't know what he's going to charge. But whenever you look at the mishandling of classified information, these are our nation's secrets. And for a former president to use those with entertainment value, these are important facts. And whether uh, they're brought out in terms of uh, the court case, I'll certainly be bringing them out in terms of the campaign because they're relevant. What kind of commander in chief are we going to have? You, as you say, were a federal prosecutor. When you saw what was laid out in the charges, just for the documents alone, obviously the Stormy Daniels thing I think is a, a smaller affair legally, but the stolen documents, when you read the charge sheet there, how serious do you think it is and how likely is it that he could be convicted? Well, those charges are as serious they get uh, in the uh, criminal case context. Uh, Jack Smith laid out the facts very clearly. I recognize that there's always a different side of this as presented in court, but it doesn't get any more serious, particularly for someone who wants to be our commander-in-chief again. Uh, there's a presumption of innocence. It's going to be tried in court, but uh, this is serious, and the allegations on January 6th are serious. Now, uh, they're particularly serious on the, the body politic, the entire voting base, uh, the Republican Party needs to wake up and say, we can't have someone who opposes a peaceful transfer of power under our democracy. And that's exactly what happened. And the question that Jack Smith has got to prove, did he know that at the time he summoned everyone to the Capitol and uh, wanted uh, them to uh, oppose the transfer of power, which caused them to march on the Capitol? But, what but did again, he know again, at that time? Again, what I would say, though, here is the problem politically, is it doesn't stop him if he's indicted multiple times from running as a candidate. The Constitution allows that. It doesn't stop him even if he's convicted. Even if he's sent to prison, Donald Trump could continue to not only run as a candidate, but actually be president. Now, it would be completely unprecedented, but most things Trumpian are. So how do you... Look, you're currently polling at 1% yourself in the race. He's over 50% in many of the polls. He's so far ahead of everybody. All these indictments seem to do, as I say, seem to help him. They seem to pump up his numbers. Kevin McCarthy was saying that today. Um, I just don't know how you can stop him winning the nomination. And he would then think, Trump, I know him very well, in a two-horse race against Joe Biden, who looks like he's barely functioning and we're still 18 months away from an election, he'd have a very good chance of winning. Well, that's the only hope that Joe Biden would have, would be if Donald Trump is on the other side, uh, indicted, not being able to pull independent votes. And that was the uh, what we had in 2020 when he wasn't under indictment, uh, and he lost. He lost that race, and a lot's happened since then. You ask what's going to change it. I don't know. But I know that as a candidate who cares about this country, you don't sit on the sideline when our democracy is at stake, whenever the, our country is at stake. I'm engaged in this fight. We got six months before the Iowa caucuses, and I know that Iowa is looking at this and potentially looking for an alternative. The, uh, the other candidates were in mostly single digits. It's going to be who surfaces out of that uh, and who takes on Trump. Uh, straight on, and I think you've got to do that if you're running for president in the Republican primary. There are, there are two clips I want to play. One is Donald Trump when he talked about what he could get away with because of his popularity, and he talked about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. Let's take a look.
They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. Now, he was presumably joking, but actually, he's probably right now. It would look like he could almost certainly do what he said there and it wouldn't move the needle at all. Uh, secondly, I want to play a clip. This is of you being booed at the Turning Point Action Conference yesterday. Let's take a look at this. So, the two things there. One, I think he's reached that point where he can basically do what he likes and his base isn't going to... Uh, we'll just listen to his explanation and believe it. But secondly, for you as a Conservative, a long-time Republican, uh, who really cares about his party and his country, to get that kind of response at a Conservative event, um, how did you feel about that? And what does that tell you about where the party now is? Well, on the first clip that you played, what that tells you about Donald Trump is that he's full of arrogance. I think everybody knows that. And whenever I think about public service, I think more about humility and serving the public versus serving your, serving your own interest. The second clip that you played was me speaking really at a pro-Trump gathering. And I go to that audience because I know they're not all aligned with me by any means, but I make the case of a conservative vision for America and where we need to go. You've got to reach out to those audiences. Thank goodness there were a lot of young people there, thousands of them who were very interested despite some uh, bad leadership and uh, behavior on the part of some of the adults in the room. If Donald Trump is watching this, and he, he probably is, um, what would you say to him? Well, I would say step aside for the good of the country uh, you're not going to be able to successfully win. You know that just like you knew that you lost in 2020. So think this through. I hope that you'll make that decision and drop out for the good of the country. You know the problem, uh, Asa Hutchinson, is that that's exactly what so many people told him in 2016. I remember. Everyone said, you haven't got a chance, drop out. And he just barreled on and he won the presidency. And I'm sure part of him is thinking, if Biden's the opponent, I've got every chance. Good point, and that's why if you're going to win the nomination, it's got to go through Donald Trump. We got to take it in the debates. We got to take it on the campaign trail and win. Governor, great to talk to you. Thanks for appearing on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pierce. Well, on says the next, a barge likened to a floating prison docks in Britain. It'll house 500 male asylum seekers. Is it a deterrent, or is Britain's migrant policy becoming increasingly inhumane? We'll debate that next. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. A barge, which is set to accommodate 500 asylum seekers, has been likened to a quasi-prison and is now docked in Dorset. The arrival of a controversial vessel comes hours after the government's illegal migration bill passed the Lords. The Prime Minister's spokesperson has defended the use of barges to house migrants, insisting it's a cheaper alternative to accommodating them in hotels. Well, I'm joined now by the political journalist Ava Santino, the Talk TV presenter Richard Sice. OK, Richard. Barges for asylum seekers. When you look at it, it does look like a floating prison. Are you comfortable that that's how Completely we comfortable. Let me tell you why. asylum seekers? Because this barge has been used as an accommodation barge for 30 years. 
Twice it's been used in different countries for asylum seekers. It's been used for construction workers, for offshore wind farms. It's been used in Shetland in Scotland uh, for the construction workers for a gas plant. I don't recall hearing Alex Salmond or Nicola Sturgeon complaining back then when it was working towards their economy. This is a sensible... Such a ridiculous false equivalent. It's not a false equivalent. It's exactly it is, right. Though. It's you been know, used by construction workers. Who I were there what, by choice. Like they're not, they weren't these fleeing people, war and persecution, these, weren't well, they? We know that many of these are economic migrants and they made the choice to come so, here, Ava, so that completely dissolves. It's so dull I tell you what, having this it's argument. Not dull. Because it's just, not dull. It's not dull at all. No, because you're so just... So why, 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 why is it appropriate for construction workers but not appropriate for people who've come across the English Channel? Because firstly, they were, they were there by choice. And secondly, the reason that... These the people have come here by their own choice. On. They the could have stayed in the safe country of France. The to use this barge is because it looks intimidating and it looks unappealing. Yes, it's it been is. used as an accommodation barge for 30 years right. and no-one's complained. Okay, well, I tell you what, I'm going to make an offer. Why don't we suggest... So I'll go down to the barge... Here's my, here's my response to you. They've doubled the number of people on the barge to what it's normally housing. So that's that's a fact... Which that's actually not true. It's not true? No, that's not true. I'm told that is true. What's well, your, I'm told that's not true. What's your source that used, it's not true? In, it's been used Have you over been 30 on the boat? years. Well, apparently, what? they've doubled it for the asylum seekers. Yes. There's been twice as many people on it. But it was originally used as asylum seekers mm. in the Netherlands and elsewhere with the same sort of number. This is its maximum capacity. You don't know and that. I, I do know, know that know because that. I checked it up today. I don't... Here's my offer. Let's go down jointly. Let's go and stay for a couple of nights and see what it's like. That's we a good could, idea. I'll tell you what, we could love live, Actually, using a... their good Wi-Fi, we could come on your show, That's Piers. a great idea. I'm not going to go and torment people who have already it's been through It's not a question of tormenting, so it's about learning the facts. These, these are people, we're talking about people who fleed war and persecution, and we're talking about them as if they're just sort of objects and movable. Well, isn't so the problem, disgusting. Isn't, okay, isn't the problem, they're not all legitimate asylum seekers. Yet, we know that last year, for example, of the people that came on the boats, about a third were economic migrants from Albania. They weren't actually from war-torn countries at all. So that's not statistically true. And let me speak to that for one moment. Why isn't the Home Office employing more people to process asylum seekers? People mm. who come over with claims, why well, are we... I only, agree with. Yeah, here's the problem. At the moment, what they're doing... Well, they're, people, they're just processing them very slow because they're incompetent and woeful. Like, we're agreed but on But we also have this issue with this, this hotel, for example, in West Wales, in Slanethley, uh, the Strady Park Hotel, where apparently they've basically got, made 100 staff redundant. They're going to put the whole uh, place taken over by asylum seekers. And local residents have gone completely nuts about this. And I can understand why they'd be concerned about that. That can't be right either. Putting them up in four-star hotels at our expense grates with people, right? Putting them on the barge might grate with you, but you've got to do something with them until they sort out the processing centres. Then explain to me something, Piers. All right, there's double the amount of people that should be on that barge. No, right? you know, not. OK, That's hang on. All right, well, we'll ignore that premise for a moment. What if something breaks Come out? Come with when me and test it. You've got to let me make a point. The barge's capacity upset. is going to be increased from 222 to 500. There are 222 rooms, and you can have it as single beds or as double right, beds. But they're That's actually du they're doubling the capacity for people. And let me talk to you about what happened in Manston, all right? What broke out in Manston? Don't do a bit of waterboutery. Focus on the barge and for the It was where we were housing oh, well, asylum Ava, seekers. Until we sort out the processing centres, which has to be done, 
What, where are you going to put all these people? You need to process them. That's what you need yeah, to do. Yeah, but where are you going to put them? Tents? You need, so you, you want tents what? in armoured barracks? If you treated this like an emergency war situation mm. and you actually process people correctly, you wouldn't have to, you know, bring in barges to house them or bring in new but hotels. how are you going to deter the people smugglers and all the people who are just trying it on as economic migrants? How do you sift through all that and get to legitimate... And I agree with you. We have to be humane about asylum seekers and legitimate refugees from war-torn countries not least from countries where we've started the wars or engaged in them if they were fought illegally like Iraq. Well, so I, you have to sell me on that. But my issue, I think, is on behalf of everybody else who's concerned about this, is that you've got to do something about all these people coming. Where do you physically put them? Mm -hmm. And putting them in four-star hotels is causing a lot of social unrest. You can't have that. The processing no, no, isn't up to speed yet. The barge... It, all right, you can say it looks like a prison camp. It looks a bit like a cheap cruise ship. Actually, is it that bad to put yes. them there and process things? And tell me why we won't put a processing centre in Calais. That was suggested by Macron years ago. We put a processing centre there, then no one makes that, say, that, that dangerous trip over. We're Which agreed. I've been suggesting that for months and months and mm. months. But look, hear me out. That barge, it's used for construction workers, but according to you, it's not good enough for asylum seekers. I but was it's... down in Thlanethely yesterday. And let me tell you, the good people of Thlanethely, they have blocked the access to that hotel. It's on unregistered land. The neighbours uh, deny the access to it. They've got tents there. They're staying overnight. They're not going to let that be used. They are saying enough no, is I've enough. No, I've got a this friend of mine who lives in that area. He says there's absolute mayhem down there because they just think it's completely wrong. And I've got a lot of sympathy it's with It's the them. main hotel, the main conference and spa yeah. hotel for the whole of Thlanethely and the surrounding That, that cannot be right, Ava. But what I don't understand is why there is this sort of categorisation of people, why you think that people who are fleeing war and persecution are somehow, some are. Are somehow not... Are not supposed to be staying in that hotel. Somehow, for some reason, other people. So you don't care about the hundred Thlanethly uh, community <laughs> residents who've Why been made redundant. Better? Why are they better people? Because they're than British the citizens. Who have been... and most of those people have come here illegally. They've well, broken the law. Well, I don't see you out on the picket talking about the other British citizens. I was down at Thlanethly yesterday, talking to the good residents of Thlanethly who are absolutely steaming furious. I tell you what, the other thing people are steaming furious about, according to a YouGov poll released today, 63% of Britons, and I consider Brexit to have been more of a failure than a success. Just 12% of those RC Brexit as more of a success than failure. That's unbelievable. I mean, that is heading to the point where... It's, it's, it's not unbelievable, Piers. What it is, is a reflection of the fact that most people recognise that this government hasn't taken advantage of the opportunity. Mm. If you talk to Brexiteers who voted for Brexit, they don't regret the vote. What they're disappointed with is the government hasn't taken advantage of Last year, we had a, a net positive migration of, of 600,000 people. Uh, we're now appealing for construction workers to come into the country from other countries. Even though we've got five million... We have, we have the, boat, the boats continue to be out of control. So it's the, not a false so The loudest claim of the Brexiters that somehow we would be controlling our borders is obviously complete nonsense. Because the government have completely failed to do well, that's what, what they you say always say. Because I'm not, is, I'm not in charge. If but I the truth charge, is, they've been, be trying, they've been trying everything, but Brexit... They haven't tried everything. They deliberately created... They deliberately created a low-skilled, open-borders visa policy. At what point do you accept Brexit hasn't worked? I say that as somebody, by the way, I voted Remain, but I then stuck my neck out and said I absolutely honour the result of the referendum. Yep, yep. I attacked the Ramoners who didn't. Yep. I said democracy Correct. depends on accepting the results of these votes. But I think the argument not to have another vote, if that number of Britons... Piers, we've only left two and, and a half years... And well, they the vote was in 2016. Yeah, but we've only left... Piers, we've only left... That's nearly eight years ago. No, Piers, don't be disingenuous. We left 
in trade terms at the end of 2020. I tell you what, if I was in charge, it would be a great success. No, you and wouldn't, until, because, frankly, no, because you Ava, wouldn't have a trading agreement with the largest trading we've block. We've got a trade agreement with the largest <laughs> no, trading block, but you right? Can't. We've just signed another one with an even bigger trading zone you know, in Asia, the fastest growing it's, it's trading zone. It's almost like talking. It's like there's no point in speaking because obviously you know that exporters are now facing all of this red tape. They're fighting to get their products into Europe and they're paying extortionate fees to do it. You know that. But isn't it? That you, and the what you don't, that what you don't know, because you haven't done the research, is that our trade figures, we're actually exporting more in value terms than we were at the end of 16 or at the end of 2020. You don't know that because you haven't done the research. But you know what, Richard? The truth is... That reflects my own anecdotal chats with people. And it's not that they feel that they were betrayed or lied to, or any of those things which the Ramonas love to say, although there's some argument, I think, on both sides were disingenuous. It's just they just feel it's not working. And they feel that after a pandemic and a financial crisis and a war in Europe, the last thing we need is to be pouring fuel on our own wounds. Mm. And they feel that's what we're doing. It's not working. So my question is, at what point does Brexit need to work to justify not having another referendum? It, it, what the government of the day who, who, who fought for this, as I did, but I'm not the government of the day, they've got to do... They've got to take advantage of the opportunities. Like you've got to get rid of the daft regulations. You've got to cut government waste and cut taxes for people. And you've got to go you through it. And you've got to control it's, it's your borders. Rhetoric, and they've deliberately opened the borders. Why did Boris Johnson, the man who led the Brexit charge, why didn't he do all this? Very good question. Because we need Europe to ask him. Get him in here and ask it. him because he hasn't done it. The, the Tory government. The Tories, the Tories have They won the 2019 election advantage. on the back of getting Brexit yeah. done. And they haven't done it because it they're weak ready and deals. It was all done and dusted. It was all easy. Now it's turned out to be a total disaster. It hasn't turned out to be a total disaster, Piers. Let's just remember, the Eurozone is in recession. Mm. So I don't know why everybody seems to think they're a massive success story like Ava. Germany is in recession. We're going to outperform Ava, do you think Germany we should have another year. referendum? <laughs> That's Tony tough, Blair thinks it's too late and that basically yeah. the damage is done and to go back in is too painful. I, I think it's too it tough might be a right. question. But, I mean, I mean, clearly this isn't working. I mean, mm. clearly we need to have some kind of access to the market in Europe. It's, it's absurd. I would just like... But, just, just, just clarify, right, the Eurozone is in recession. Mm -hmm. We're not. So we're right. actually doing better than so the actually, Eurozone. So actually, most analysts so, do say that we are in recession. We just haven't declared a recession. We might be heading towards one. I've got a timeout. We've run out of time. Uh, the debate will continue until or if Brexit works. I'm not holding my breath, Richard. Sorry, mate. I'm not holding my breath. Well, if I'm in charge. Uh, good to see you, but Well, you make it in charge. You have to get elected first. Correct. That's right. what I'm planning to do. Well, good luck. <laughs> if you do, come back on the show. Uh, and so, so next tonight, after Carl Stefanovic and the rest of the Australian media called me a big crybaby and king of the pommy whingers following the disgraceful, treacherous, unsportsmanlike behaviour we witnessed from Australians at Lords in the Ashes earlier this month, I thought it was time to go head-to-head -head with the cocky Today Show host. That's next. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. I took a bold stand against the unsporting treachery of Australia's cricketers at Lords earlier this month in the Ashes. And in turn, the Australian media took a bold stand against me. The Australian Telegraph newspaper addressed me, Ben Stokes, to Geoffrey Boycott and Rishi Sunak as giant babies with the headline, a wobbly lower lip, Suki Poms keep spitting the dummy. It wasn't just the papers. Carl Stefanovic, a TV presenter who is flatteringly for him, known as the Australian Piers Morgan, said this on the big breakfast show over there. 
Pierce has said that he will come on our show oh. um, when England win the series 3-2. He's Seriously. such a lightweight. He's a lightweight. Oh, he's pathetic. Toughen up, mate. Absolutely dreaming. Hey? expected more out of him. Oh, I can't hey. believe it. What a loser. Give what a loser. Hmm. He didn't stop there. He asked Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to ban me from the country. Is it time to revoke the visas of English elites like Piers Morgan? That would be a very harsh measure, uh, Carl. What it, what it might be better to do is to allow people like Piers Morgan <laughs> to come in and to come on your show and remind him of Australia's massive Ashes victory. Yeah, you've won nothing yet, Prime Minister. We're going to win the Ashes. And ahead of the do-or-die fourth test match at Old Trafford that starts tomorrow, I decided it was time for me to confront Mr Stefanovic one-on-one. -on -one. Well, I'm joined now by Carl Stefanovic. So, Carl, you've been giving it the big one uh, for the last few weeks, but you've gone very, very quiet since we rolled you over in the last test match. Is that nerves? Basically, uh, Piers, you know how it is uh, down under. We don't really worry about things until the the very last minute. But we've been gathering the troops at the fray. Uh, we've been getting our, our little toys out of our kids' cot so that we can send them over to you. This is a, one of the native bilbies that you'll be, you'll be sent in the next couple of days in the lead-up to the test, that you can throw them out of your cot with your dummies when Australia starts to pound you on day one. We are very fired up about this, but in a very quiet way. Obviously, we wake up like this, Pierce. Preparation, mm. handsome, delicious Australians. <laughs> I know that upsets you greatly. I know that makes you cranky. But this is how we wake up in preparation for a big test. Quiet and handsome. Actually, you look as, as haggard, drawn and old as I used to when I did breakfast television. <laughs> and thank God I'm now in prime, in prime time, words you can only dream about, which is why I look, by comparison, so youthful and dynamic. <laughs> Youthful and dynamic. Actually, I will say this. You have, you have looked better after that, that last victory. I know how concerned you were about it. And that's why we gifted you one test match. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened in your country if Australia had won that one? You would have been crying in the streets. GDP would have gone down. You would have had to replace your Prime Minister, the toothpick with eyes, as we call him over here in Australia, with another Prime Minister. There would have been absolute mayhem. So we've gifted you this one. We're giving you an opportunity to get back into the series because deep down, even though you sent the worst of us to Australia decades, hundreds of years ago, we're back here for you and we still kind of like you, you in know a what, strange Carl? way. You know what, Carl? When we sent all the convicts to Australia, I never dreamed for a moment that they would, the people there would be still as undesirable as they were when we sent them. But there you are. <laughs> undesirable. Look at this. Who's the person you want to have lunch with whenever you come to Australia <laughs> and you want me to pay? Come on, Piers. Let me ask you this. It's, look, it's good. Let's get serious <laughs> for one moment. Obviously, you all right. were, obviously, your Australian team cheated with Sam Papergate. You cheated again when Trevor Chappell bowled underarm. You cheated again with the Bairstow uh, fiasco. Yeah, yeah. Can you give any undertakings at all on behalf of your country that in the last two test matches you may at least try and abide by the laws and spirit of the game? Look, I think this is why we've, we've come to know you as the king of the whingers here in Australia, and, and some of us do love you. But effectively, what we've done is, having been the worst of us sent out from... the worst and the best of us sent out from um, your beautiful country uh, many, many decades, hundreds of years ago, um, we've basically used... You get upset because we use your rules to beat you. 
Um, that's, that's as effective as, as I can be this morning in my message to you. So we will use any rules and twist them back on the old dart because that's called progress. Mm. You guys are stuck in the 60s and the 50s and we're progressing as a nation let forward me tell you, at a let fast me tell you, pace. Just to wrap yeah. this, we're going to win the next test at Old Trafford. We're going to go to the Oval. We're going to basball you to within one inch of your lives. And then I'm going to come mm. on your show and I'm going to do the yeah. greatest gloating segment in the history <laughs> of breakfast television. And you're going to be physically vomiting live on air as I show you the ashes and kiss them after the greatest comeback since Lazarus. And on that bombshell, Carl Stefanovic, as you call yourself over there, Stefanovic to your friends in Europe, I will bid you farewell until we win. All right, I'll see you soon. And if you, if you win this next Test match, I'll come to London and we'll do it in person. And you can buy me a massive lunch. I'll look forward to it. Take right. care, Carl. Done. All right, love you, mate. Bye. So think about Australians. I do, I love them. I love the country, I love the culture. But when it comes to cricket, they are utterly unbearable. And yes, I do know this show airs on Sky News Australia. <laughs> so, good evening. Good evening, Cobbers. Um, but I think we're going to win. And when we do, I'm going to see Mr Stefanovic. That's it for tonight. Come on, England. Bring back that urn. You can do it, Captain Stokes. Good night. Keep it uncensored.